The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So we're talking in this series about this idea of love, and we've called this series Love Is because love is treated so often in our culture as one of these ideas that's um, difficult, if not impossible, to define and to clarify. And so, in, in fact, some people might say, well, love is one of those things that it's hard to describe, but you'll just know it when you experience it. And we, sometimes the best we can do is just leave it kind of mysterious and foggy like that. But relationships are just too hard to not crisply, clearly define love. And so we're trying to seek out, okay, what is this concept of love? And we realized, you know, there is an opportunity for us to ask a source that we ask so many of other life's questions to. It's our digital assistants. Siri, Google, Alexa, some of these assistants. So we said, you know what, that's where we get so much of our information from. Let's see how they answer what love is. So we asked them each, and I want to show you what they said. You guys want to hear this? Is this something? Okay. Um, so I want to share. So first one is Alexa. Alexa is the Amazon home digital assistant. You can walk around your house and just speak things into air, and it responds to you, okay? And so we're going to ask Alexa what uh, love is. You guys need to be, this is going to be profound, okay? So just get yourselves ready. All right, so here we go. Alexa, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me. No more. Okay. Thank you. That's profound. Apparently, that song truly is stuck in every single person's mind, okay? We stuck it in your brain two weeks ago, and it's back in your mind again because we torture you like that. Okay. Not super helpful, but don't worry. We also have Siri. Any iPhone users out there? Any iPhone users? Several of you, I mean... You're proud of yourselves. You started clapping for yourselves. That's a little concerning. Okay. Um, so we're going to ask, I mean, Siri helps you with so much of your life. So maybe she can help you answer some of the most profound questions on this planet. So here we go. Siri, what is love? As I understand it, love refers to a deep, tender, ineffable feeling of affection and solicitude. Wow. All right. Solicitude. Now I have to ask Siri what that means. Okay. So... All right, that's pretty deep for Siri. That's impressive. Okay, wow. So it's a deep emotion, a deep feeling that overtakes you. Okay, that's a little deeper than I thought Siri was going to be able to go. But of course, we have to ask also, we have to ask Google. Google knows the answer to everything apparently. So we are going to ask Google. Here we go. Okay, Google, what is love? Love is a choice. Choosing to love someone is one of the most beautiful, selfless things you can do. Or are you trying to make me quote a 90s pop song? All right, I was tracking you at the beginning there, but it's also stuck in Google's mind. Um, that's, a, that's pretty impressive, actually, from Google. Love is a choice, one of the most impressive, selfless things you can do. Man, that kind of makes Siri seem kind of shallow, actually, now that I hear that. I mean, if I had an iPhone, I'd be ashamed of myself to have one like that. <laughs> Okay, um, Okay. so these assistants, these digital assistants, they each represent, especially Siri and Google, they, the, these are their actual answers, and they represent 
two major systems of thought about what love is. So Siri defines love as this concept that is so strong, it's such a strong emotion that overpowers everything else. I feel so strongly, there's such this powerful affection that everything else fades away. It's a powerful emotion. But then Google defines love and it says that love is this selfless choice. Did you notice it called it a choice? Google said love is this one of the most powerful, selfless, beautiful choices that you can make. And so here we have a departure on two different definitions of love. And the nuance between these two definitions could be the very thing that saves your marriage or your future marriage. Because love is one of these two things. Love is a powerful feeling that you fall into. Or love is a powerful choice that you fight for. Love is either a feeling or a choice. A feeling, you just fall into it incidentally. You fall into love, this feeling that then dominates the rest of your life. Or it's a choice that you fight for. You continue to fight for that. We're going to take a look at those two things. The Bible actually, the scripture defines what love is. It doesn't keep it mysterious. It actually says, this is it. Let me give you a list. And we're looking in 1 Corinthians 13. And it's this laundry list of things that love is. So we have a very crisp definition of it. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 starting in verse 4. Here's what it says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Now look at these next ones. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Now those first few we've been unpacking the last couple weeks, but we're going to dig into those last four today because they all tie in together. In fact, they're like two pairs that all tie in. So the first pair is love is not irritable or resentful, and the second pair is love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in truth. It throws a party for truth. So let's take this first two. Love is not irritable and it's not resentful. Irritable. When you think that love is not irritable, some of you are already elbowing the person next to you right now, okay? Which I wouldn't recommend if they're irritable. That would not be a good idea. What is irritability? We all know what it's like to be irritable, okay? If you are a coffee drinker like me, you know what it means to be irritable, okay? Any coffee drinkers here? Any, any coffee addicts, okay? Intervenous coffee users, you just put an IV in in the morning, okay? Um, if you are a coffee drinker like me, you know that if it's like 9.30 a.m. and you haven't had a cup of coffee, you are subhuman at that point, right? Conversely, if you've had too much coffee, you would then become irritable, okay? You can be irritable on either end. What does it mean to be irritable? Irritable means, well, you can get irritable if you haven't had your coffee. You can be irritable if you're hungry. If you're sleep deprived, you can be irritable, stressed not feeling well. You can be irritable in the sense that you're grouchy or cranky, but that's not the type of irritability that this is talking about here. 
that would fall under one of the other things. It's not loving to be cranky and grouchy, but that probably falls under when it said love is not rude. What this is talking about is something different. It means irritable as in another way you could, you could translate this is love is not easily provoked to anger. In other words, love, it, it's not flammable. You know, some, some of us, there are certain people we're like soured to, okay? And, and there's a certain situation where you're like flammable. Like if, if they hurt your feelings or do something that offends you, it's like a match and you're flammable. If they get near you with that, you're like, you're like immediately angry, okay? Love is easily provoked. It's easy to kindle anger in you. That's what it means, okay? Well, when and why does that happen? That's tied to the second one in this list. It's not irritable. It's not easily provoked. And then it says, love is not resentful. Now, the way that this is um, originally translated, we, so we have thousands and thousands of original Greek manuscripts that we have, and so we can read directly from the ancient Greek right into the English translation. That's what these scholars are doing. And so this is a great translation, resentful, but the actual word-for-word translation here is really interesting. It's love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, that word keeping record, it's a word all by itself in here, and that word love keeps no record, keep Keeping record is a mathematical term. It's like an accountant meticulously keeping record. That is so interesting on how bitterness and resentment works. Because here's what's going on in your brain. You have this little accountant that works in your brain, okay? It's a little office that he sits in right up in there. He's this little meticulous accountant and he has a ledger. He has files and files. And he has a file for each person in your life. And he's keeping record. He's keeping accounts. He's got this ledger with the heading of a certain person and he's keeping account of all their debts. Every time they hurt your feelings, offend you, or do you wrong, this accountant loves to keep record. And here's what this accountant does. When you see that person they're like, oh, I got to get this file. And the little the accountant, we'll call him a bitterness accountant. This bitterness accountant gets the file and barges into your consciousness and starts reading off the things that they've done, okay? So let's say hypothetically, you, um, I don't know, got together with family for Memorial Day, just throwing one out there, okay? And you see your brother. And all of a sudden, your accountant's like, oh, okay, all right, this guy, I got a whole stack out here for this guy, and comes in and says, oh, you're meeting with your brother. Well, I just want to remind you of a couple things. Okay, he wrecked your bicycle in third grade. Okay, stole your girlfriend when you were in high school. In fact, he didn't send you a Christmas card in 2006. I wrote that down, okay? And your bitterness accountant comes in and reads down the record of all the things that this person has done, and he loves to keep a meticulous record about those things. But here's what's funny about this bitterness accountant. We actually enjoy our meetings with them. We actually kind of enjoy it. Like, read me back, read that to me again. I actually want to go through those again. And there's something about us that we like hearing all the debts each person has. Pull out another file, because my sister's here too. Could you pull that file out? And we like reading through the files, and there's something that we like about kind of stewing in these accounts of all the debts, all the offenses, all the wrong that's been done, we like to keep meticulous record for those things. Now, here's how these two things work together. When we have a meticulous account, a meticulous record of wrongs, 
it makes us more likely to be provoked to anger towards that person. Okay, let me paint a hypothetical scenario. You've got two coworkers. One is new. We'll call him Bill. You like Bill. Bill's a good guy. You've been hanging out with Bill outside of work a little bit. You're getting along with Bill. He asks about how you're doing. He helps you out at work. Bill's a good guy. You're liking this relationship. And you have another friend. His name is Steve. And you like Steve too. You've had a long relationship with Steve. But Steve, over the years, you've picked up that he has this one quirk that just drives you nuts. We're going to call him Stingy Steve. Stingy Steve is the type of guy when you did a collection for so-and-so's retirement, okay, and, and you went around and Steve didn't give you one nickel towards the present that you were collecting to give to the retirement, but when you gave the present, there was Steve clapping along as if he had donated to the present itself, and that just bothered you. And then uh, one time he borrowed some money from you, and then when you went back, said, hey, Steve, could, I, could you pay me back? What did Stingy Steve do? He, well, I don't think I borrowed that much. And he tried to debate you on all the minor fine points, and so that went down in your ledger. Okay, remember, Steve is stingy. Okay, so you, Stingy Steve bothers you. And so one day you all go out after work, and you're having dinner, and you're all sitting there in a circle, and Bill, your friend Bill, is sitting next to you, and you, you like this guy, and you're talking, man, I like this guy. And Bill, it gets time to pay for the check, and Bill says, oh man, I'm so embarrassed. You see his face starting to turn red. I mean, really genuinely. He's like, I totally forgot my wallet. And you're like, oh, Bill, that's okay. That's such a Bill thing to do. And you're like, ah, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I got you this time, but you, you get me next time. He's like, absolutely, man. I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. And, you're willing, and you just pay his whole check that day. And, and you know what? You kind of like doing it because you like Bill. And then all of a sudden from across the table, you hear Stingy Steve say, Hey, uh, should we divide this check up? I mean, let's just all just divide it right in the middle and we'll just all pay the same amount and you're already mad. Oh, here he goes again. I don't even know what he's up to, but I'm already mad. Let me see the check. Okay, because I got water and you got a drink and then he, I got the burger and he got the chicken. I know he's trying to get money from me. I'm not paying a single dime more than I'm supposed to for Stingy Steve because he's at it again. I don't know if a situation, anything close to this has ever happened to you, okay? What just played out? You just paid for Bill's entire meal, but you're mad at the prospect of paying one dime more than you're supposed to with Stingy Steve. Immediately, you just started talking at the time the check hit the table and you're mad. Easily provoked to anger. Why? It's easy to be irritable and easily provoked to anger if I'm keeping a record of wrongs. The more I keep a record of wrongs, the more likely I'm going to be easily provoked to anger. You follow me? You see how this works together? So here's what this says. Love keeps no, love is not irritable and it's not resentful. It's not going to keep a record of wrongs, so it's not going to be easily provoked. Okay, so what does this say about love? Is love a powerful emotion that I fall into or is, is love a choice I fight for? If love is a powerful emotion, I'm not going to fight off resentment. Why? I enjoy my meetings with my bitterness accountant. I enjoy it. I like going through it. I like remembering, yeah, that's not right. That's unjust. They never, they, that, that's not what they did. They should pay for that. I enjoy that. It's not pleasurable to just dismiss all that. And if love is emotion, then I'm hoping that it's a stronger emotion than the anger that I'm provoked to, which is also a strong emotion. But if love is a choice then I'm choosing to not keep a record of wrongs, which means I'm setting myself up to not be easily provoked to anger. Let's look at the second set. It says, 
Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. I love it. It doesn't say it acknowledges, it accepts. It says it rejoices in truth, not in wrongdoing. Now, this is weird. I mean, why does this need to be in here? I mean, we always rejoice in truth. I mean, when do we rejoice in wrongdoing? I mean, we we always rejoice in truth. Okay, imagine this tomorrow morning, you get in your car, you get you have a long commute, so you're on your way on the highway, and all of a sudden you're just you're minding your own business on your way to work. You're like all of a sudden you look in your rearview mirror and this person is right up on your tail. I mean, you're like, how close is this person to me? I'm I'm going the speed limit. What do they want from me? And they're flashing their lights and they're all urgent going back and forth. And you're I, I can't believe this. And all of a sudden they zoom around you and zoom back in front of you and nearly cut you off, and you can't believe that, and then off they go. Now, I wonder if you've ever had this pleasurable experience. (laughs) That about five minutes later, you see that same car. And they're no longer zooming down the road. They're on the side of the road with a police officer behind them and their lights are flashing. That does something inside of you, doesn't it? I mean, that's when you're saying, like, see, I don't rejoice in wrongdoing. I rejoice in the truth. I mean, that's just. You're, dry, you're happy. You turn up your radio a little bit. Okay. It's a little party going on. I mean, you roll down your window. You shout at them on your way over. Okay. Maybe you don't do that. I don't do that. Okay. That's too far. I would never do something like that. Okay. But there's a little party that happens in that car. You're like, look, I rejoice in truth, not in wrongdoing. Let's change the situation a little bit. Let's say you wake up tomorrow morning and you wake up and you're like, oh man, here's the day of my big presentation. All the big wigs are coming in. I've got to give this presentation. You're like, okay, I've got, I've got to do this. I need to get to work. I've got to finish preparing. And so you get up and you walk out of your room and you see it's just one of those mornings. The dog's made a mess on the floor. Oh, this is why I don't want pets. And you're mad and you're trying to clean it up. And then you, you get into your, your car and you, you sit down and you notice that your clothes aren't ironed properly and now you're mad and you start the car and you're out of gas and I have to get gas. And you're, you're going and you hit every single red light known to man and they're all about 17 minutes long a piece and there's no one else coming. You're like, what's wrong with this government? We can't even fix how the lights are supposed to go and you're giving a little rant and then you get on the highway and everyone feels it's their responsibility to go exactly the speed limit. So you're driving up and you're right behind some person who's going exactly the speed limit and then you zoom, you're like, I can't take this anymore. And you zoom out and you zoom around them and they're all flustered behind you, okay? And then a couple minutes later, what happens? You look in your rearview mirror and there are the lights and you get pulled over. And then that slowpoke has the audacity to shout something out the window as they drive past you. Okay, now what is happening in that moment? Of course I'd get pulled over on this moment. And what happens when that police officer walks up? What do you say? Sir, first off, I just want to say, well done at doing your job. Thank you, sincerely. You're holding me accountable. You're holding the line to the truth. In fact, I, in fact, I am going to enjoy every minute of writing this $250 check I'll inevitably have to pay. In fact, just take me to jail. Just take the whole way, okay? Is that what's going in your mind? See, we only delight in truth when it emotionally works in our favor. We delight in truth and not in wrongdoing We delight in truth and not wrongdoing when it's emotionally favorable. But what this is saying is that we have such 
a high regard for truth that it doesn't matter when truth comes to us, how painfully, what the source is, how it's being said to us, when we hear truth, we rejoice and celebrate and at least somewhere in us, we throw a party because truth is present. So you say, how come, what does this have to do with love though? Okay, I got you, but what does this have to do with love? Why does love rejoice in truth no matter what? Because here's how this plays out in relationships. When it comes to truth, sometimes we're not willing to celebrate truth when it's not emotionally favorable in the relationship. So we're not willing, the first side of it is to speak the truth if it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. We're not willing to speak the truth carefully, thoughtfully, gently, intentionally. We're not willing to speak the truth if we know it's going to start a fight. We're not willing to, to speak the truth if it's going to upset like the emotional equilibrium of the relationship. And so sometimes we hold back from speaking the truth. But then what happens? then the more this person keeps doing this offensive thing, the more I'm getting frustrated and frustrated. My ledger is getting full and then one day I just boil over and I can't take it anymore and now I'm speaking the truth in the most un, uh, unproductive way I could. I'm shouting, I'm waving my arms, I'm accusing, I'm saying, you always do this, I'm exaggerating and I just can't take it anymore. I'm just boiling truth over and I'm speaking truth now in a way that they're the least likely to receive it productively because I'm being shouted at so now I'm on the defensive or now they're saying, you always, so they're exaggerating. Well, I don't always do that. And so now I, this person, I've put them in a place where there's no chance that they're going to respond well. But if I rejoice in truth, if I'm celebrating truth, then I'm willing to just say, okay, I need to have this conversation with them and I'm going to do it intentionally, calmly. I'm going to do it humbly, gently, thoughtfully in the way the best way they can receive it. But there's another side. If I truly rejoice in truth, it's not just I'm willing to speak it well, I'm willing to receive it well. If I'm really rejoicing in truth, then it doesn't matter who's telling me or how they're telling it to me. If it's truth, I want to lean in and say, okay, help me. I mean, think about this. This is why, what does this have to do with love? Well, think about it like this. If I am not willing to hear truth or not willing to listen to someone who's telling me about my flaws and faults, then what I'm saying is I don't care if the people that are directly around me, my friends and family members, I don't care if they have to suffer under my flaws and faults for the rest of my life. I'm not willing to address it. I don't care if they're tortured by my flaws for the rest of my life. I am not going to receive truth. But a wise person says, whenever someone speaks truth, I want to lean in. It's for my good. And I can even receive truth when it's coming from the wrong person, when it's coming from an enemy or someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. If there's a nugget of truth in there, it's going to just make me better. I should lean in to hear truth. I'm willing to receive truth even when it's not said appropriately. See, here's what we so often do. If we're not willing to receive truth, if we don't rejoice in truth, then what ends up happening is either we pick apart someone's argument, we say, no, well, that's not true. And I don't always do that. I, last week, I just did this. And we're picking apart their argument. We don't care about getting to truth. We care about disproving them and defending ourselves. 
We either pick apart their argument or if they've nailed us right in the crosshairs, then we pick apart their delivery. Well, you may be right, but I can't believe you bring this up right now. Do you know all that's going on in my life? Or I can't believe you'd say it like that. That's so mean. And now we're punishing them for how they're speaking to us. But if I'm rejoicing in truth, I want truth, I'm wisely acknowledging it's for my benefit, then I'm going to lean in and say, help me, give me truth. In fact, if you're really rejoicing in truth, try this. The next time someone, it doesn't matter who, your enemy, your friend, it doesn't matter. The next time they speak truth, try this. The first words out of your mouth say, first of all, thank you. Sincerely, I, I appreciate that you care enough about me that you're willing to have this uncomfortable conversation. Thank you for loving me that well. Now, let me just make sure I understand what you're saying. If we were wise, that would actually be not just our words, but our heart. See, love rejoices in truth, so it's willing to, to speak truth, and it's willing to receive truth. In the context of, of, of relationships, so what about love? If love is a powerful emotion... I'll put that emotion before the truth so I won't share if it's uncomfortable and I won't receive because it's uncomfortable. But if love is a choice, then there's some conversations that I'm going to have even though it might be a date night killer. There's some conversations that even though like I, I, I know I, I just, I'm going to be wise, I'm going to pick the right time as best I can, but I need to talk through this and I'm going to be humble. I'm going to, I, don't have, I don't have it all figured out, but, but this, is, this is the best I can do and I'm going to offer humbly and lovingly. And if, if it's a choice, then I'm going to receive it and not punish the messenger, but thank them because I acknowledge that is loving. So let's define love. Is love an emotion we fall into? No, what we learn here is love is a choice that we fight for. So let's talk in the context of, of marriage specifically. Have you ever met a, a young couple, maybe they're dating or they're engaged, and you're like, oh, we're just so in love, we never fight. You might have the same thoughts going through your head that I do, which is, okay, you're in trouble. Because love is not the absence of fighting, in fact, if your view is that love is a powerful emotion, that may be why you've come to that conclusion. Love is an overwhelming emotion, so it, it will mean that I'm not having these uncomfortable fights. But if you realize that love is, in fact, a choice to be selflessly committed to someone, then you acknowledge that it's not about fighting. It's not about do I fight or not. It's about fighting well. Love is something to fight for. So let me just give you two practical things in a marriage, two ways to fight for love. Okay, here's the first one, two ways to fight for love. The first is if you're going to fight for love, it's going to be a fight for truth. If you're going to fight for love, it is going to be a fight for truth. There's this notion out there about love that says, well, I love them, I just want them to be happy. That's so common, but do we understand? We know intuitively how dangerous that is. If your friend is about to get in a car and drive drunk, and that's going to make them happy, are you a loving friend to let them do that? Absolutely not. Love is going to fight for truth. And so here's what that means it's going to mean 
Um, it's going to be speaking the truth and receiving the truth. Now, my wife, Rebecca, is a licensed uh, therapist. She's a counselor. And it's because God knew that I needed professional help pretty much 24-7, okay? And so along the way, she's trained in how to handle tough conversations. And so she's trained me along the way. So I'm going to give you some tips from therapist Rebecca here, okay? What she would say is here, a practical tip. If you're going to speak the truth, you're like, okay, I want to do this well. I'm not going to wait till I boil over. I'm going to speak the truth. I want to do it calmly, lovingly, humbly. I don't have it all together. I'm going to speak it humbly. Um, One practical tip on how to do this is speak the truth with, start with an I statement. Real practical. Instead of starting with, okay, we need to talk. You always do this. You constantly do this. Last week, here's what you did. Instead of starting with a you statement, try this. When this happens, I feel like this. I could be wrong, but this is how I feel when when this happens. Because if you say you always or you do this, they can debate what they do. But if you lead with an I statement, I feel this or this is my experience when this happens or this is what it's like for me, they can't debate what you're experiencing and then you can humbly just say, this is, this is what it's like on my side. Lead with an I statement. Speak the truth humbly. You don't, you're not the perfect gauge of what truth is. In fact, he's put you together. Probably you have a piece and they have a piece of truth. You need each other. He wired you like that. He wired you to be deficient enough to need your spouse's truth. Start with an I statement when you're speaking the truth. Now here's a um, tip from therapist Rebecca for the second one. Here's how to, to listen well. Here's how to hear truth well. It's, it's a practice called paraphrasing. Try this next time. Someone comes up and maybe they're, they're just even not even delivering it appropriately. You do this and you do that and this and that. So try this. First, you're going to thank them. Thanks. Hey, first of all, thank you for caring enough to share this. I'm not sarcastically. I, honestly, I want to be a better person. I want to grow. So thank you for having the courage to do that. And then you paraphrase. This is what you do. Your first words out are this. Here's what I'm hearing you say. Tell me if I have this correct. And you as honestly as you can try and represent what they've said. Because your goal, it's, it's a wise practice to make sure you understand before you seek to be understood. So you say, okay, is this what you're saying? Do I understand? No, that's not what I said. It's this. Okay, well, let's try again. Help, help me understand. And it's not just until you're satisfied that you understand. You're, they are satisfied that you understand. Try paraphrasing. Do I understand it? Is this what you're saying? And then from there, you can break it apart, calmly de-escalating the conversation. See, here's what a fight for love is a fight for truth. I'm going to speak truth faithfully, calmly, and humbly, and I'm going to receive truth calmly and humbly. But here's the second way you fight for love. You've got to fire the accountant. That bitterness accountant, let's just be honest, we like our meetings. We like our little sit-downs to go through the file. And so, but, but love keeps no record. So here's what I want you to do. I want you right there in your seat right now, I want you to go through this mental exercise, okay? I want you to, to call your bitterness accountant into a meeting right now, right here as we're sitting here. I want you to call your bitterness accountant into a meeting in your brain. And I want you to say, hey, here's the thing. I want you to bring that, that file um, about my spouse. And their bitterness accountant right now is saying, well, I'm going to need a forklift, but okay, all right. And they go, 
They get the file, boom, they're placing it on the desk right now in your mind. Say, so I, I want you to, to, uh, to hand me the file. And they're already now starting to read off the list right now. Okay, no, 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 hang on. Hand me the file. And I want you to take that entire file, all the debts you have on file with your spouse, not just the 30 cent debts, the $30,000 debts, like all of them, the big ones and the little ones. I want you to take all of the debts and right in front of your bitterness account, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a lighter. Torch the whole thing in your mind right now. Say, well, the bitterness account is um, contesting this action right now, saying that I'm going to need these later in case there's an audit or something. I actually need to keep these on file. Yeah, but um, love keeps no record of wrongs. Doesn't keep a record. So your first step, I want you to actually just take that list, all the things you know is in that file, and right now in your mind, I want you to light it on fire, wait till it burns to a crisp, it's gone, you're keeping no record, and by the way, while you're at it, I want you to look at the bitterness accountant and said, uh, I have no longer any need for your services, you're fired. Get out of here, I, I don't need you. I don't, well, you need to keep records because that's how you protect, no. Love keeps no record. And right now, here today, Abolish the record. How could I possibly do that? Do you know what's in those files? How could you do that? Let's, um, let's come at this from another angle. This is what love is. Love fights for truth and it, it does not, it's committed to not being resentful. Why? Because the Bible says we love because we were first loved. So I want you to imagine this. Do you know how the Bible, the Bible ends the whole thing, like one, the one big crescendo in the last chapters of the Bible? It's in a book called Revelation. Do you know what the end is? It's a huge party. Did you know that? It's one gigantic party. And, and you know what kind of party is? It's not just any old party. It's specifically a marriage feast. The metaphor is it's a, it's, it's a big reception, like a, a really good, the really fun ones. Okay, there's dancing and feasting. Okay, it goes, it's a long, long party. Okay, it is a wedding party. Who's getting married? Well, it says Jesus is the groom. It's the groom. He's celebrating. He's like the happiest one there. He's the groom. And do you know who the bride is? Who's the bride? The church is his bride. So I want you to picture this. Like, Jesus is thinking of marrying you, and he's so excited about it, it's the greatest party in the universe. He's describing what your relationship will be like for eternity, and the best he can pull from from our world and our understanding is marriage. So he's using that illustration. He's the groom. You're proverbially the bride in this, in this scenario, and he's saying, we, I'm pulling this together. I am so excited. It's the greatest party. Do you realize who he is? He's the one through whom the universe was made. He's the centerpiece of the whole universe. Do you know what that means? That means on this planet, he's the most important being. He's the jewel of all creation. Everything points to him and not just this planet. It's not just the solar system. It's not the Milky Way and this galaxy. It's every galaxy, the, the expanse of the universe, everything that is, he is the centerpiece, the crown jewel. It all points to him. He breathes galaxies out of his mouth. This is the one who's the groom. 
And he looks at his bride and says, I love that person so much, I would stop at nothing to be with them for all of eternity. So Jesus comes down to planet Earth. He lets go of all of his glory. He becomes like a man, and he's crucified on a cross, stripped naked and humiliated and tortured and beaten, and, he's, and he dies with his blood bleeding out, and he goes into the grave. And on the third day, he says, I'm going to defeat death itself because nothing will stop me from getting to my bride. Nothing will stop me from getting to you. And so he does all that. He rises again and he's just saying, I'm just waiting to the end of time when that celebration happens, when I get to be with you for eternity. Do you realize that's how he looks at you? Now here's what I want you to do. If you're here and you're married and you're sitting with your spouse, I want you to grab their hand right now. Go ahead and do it, actually. Here's what I want you to know. Do you realize that's how he looks at your spouse? Do you know who you get to be married to? He's saying, do you realize how precious that person is? I am waiting to the end of time to get to be with that person. Do you realize how Jesus sees your spouse? This is my precious one, the one I, I bled and died and sacrificed everything. I gave up the treasures and riches of heaven to come after that person. He's saying, and you have the honor and the privilege of being married to them. He's saying, I'm waiting for the day when I get to celebrate being one with that person. He says, do you know who your spouse is? saying, I wish you'd see your spouse, Jesus says, like I see your spouse. Because he fought for truth. And he keeps no record of wrongs. My heart today is heavy for those who are hearing this right now and you are a spouse of someone maybe a fiancé to someone, a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you don't realize that, that person has been praying for you for years, tearfully, just that you would know how much Jesus loves you. Just that you would know. There are some in here that I, I believe you have never stopped and realized how much Jesus loves you. You've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never walked after Jesus and you don't realize there's a spouse or a fiance or a boyfriend or girlfriend that is praying so desperately, tearfully, fervently that you would come to know who your Savior is because that's the most important relationship you could possibly have. You may be here and you're single, you're not in a relationship, but you know what? There may be some other single person that's right now praying, saying, God, I just want a godly husband or wife one day. And God's saying, they're praying for you and they don't even know it. And so today is the day Jesus is saying, I'm calling you home because ultimately that, my, your relationship with Jesus, that is the most important relationship you could possibly have. And I believe today is the day for those, questions, those, those prayers to be answered. I want to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus right now. Would you take a minute and bow your heads and close your eyes?
If right now you feel like you're so far from God, you feel like you can't possibly love him, that you can't possibly be loved by him, can you just stop and realize that's all he's trying to communicate. He loves you so much. He washed away all of your sin. He, he paid for all of it. You're in a, he's offering you forgiveness. Just run to Jesus today. Just simply put your faith in Jesus and you can do it with a simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer. Can you just simply right there in your seat, in your heart, between you and God, just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I accept your forgiveness. Thank you for loving me that much. I want to love you with all that I've got. I want to follow you. I put my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.